Awesome. Well, good morning, everyone. You know, the Bible says if we would humble ourselves, those that are called by His name, which is us, we humble ourselves and pray, He would heal the land. And so I, I believe that. It's not left in the hands of, as we know, politicians or governmental authorities. It's left in the hands of the church. We're those that are called by His name. So you and I, we have tremendous power made available because we are believers. And so never, don't ever just take it for granted or don't even second-guess yourself. When you pray and you lift up God's plan and His will for this nation, there's power, tremendous power is made available in that. And so every time we just take a moment just to pray for our nation, just know that it's, it's working. God's got access to this nation, and this nation cannot and will not collapse. Why? Because the church is here and because God has still got a plan. Amen. We're not, aren't you thankful for that? Yes, sir. Now, let's get into it this morning. Let's see what the Lord wants to say to us today. I'm excited again what God wants to say and do with us. And I believe that God's raising up an army in this place. I mean, one of the things that we know here, we are not here just to entertain or just have to, I'm kind of bored Sunday morning, so let's just, oh, let's just go to church. We're, we're here on an assignment, and I, I truly believe that with all my heart that this unique group of people in this room, in the Connect Lounge over there, in this building, downstairs, even our kids, it's... God is doing something in our generation, and I'm so thankful to be part of it, aren't you? And so what we're doing is we're just saying, Lord, we yield ourselves to you. However you want to speak, whatever you want to do, let's, Lord, go for it. And we're, we're all yours. Amen? Because the church is an army. we got to get that clear in our thinking. It's an army, right? It's not just a nice little group that we got to do to on Sundays, and you do your thing, I'll do mine. No, we are an army. And this is what we're going to do. I want to just quickly read to you a, a part of, again, this, this message, this word that came in 1980. So we are at 41 years ago that this word was given, and it's just faith comes by hearing, and it's important that we hear it. Yeah. And it just says this, the end of the age is coming upon this generation. The powers of darkness, the forces of evil are rampant as never before, and they will be increased in intensity and velocity, and even many Christians will see and look upon these things and say, oh, there is no use. Throw up their hands in futility and say, well, I guess it's all over. We'll just have to hold on and pray for Jesus to come shortly because the devil is about to take over everything. But thus says the Lord, in this day, I believe this day, November 7th, in this day, I am searching the body of Christ to enlist soldiers. I'll raise up a new band. I'll raise up a new army who will know how to pray against the powers of darkness and the light will dispel the darkness and the truth will set men free and prayer will break the bonds that bind men's minds, their spirits and their bodies. Yes, there are those who will learn to take their place hurriedly. It must be hurriedly, it must be. Quickly it must be that they learn, that they, ent that they enter in quickly to stand against the forces of darkness and evil that will try to come against the land, against the church, against the home, that would try and disrupt and destroy all that is good and all that God has endorsed. But the hand of the Lord is upon those who will listen, and in the urge of God, in the Spirit, to those who are attentive, they will pray. The Spirit of God will help you to pray. Do not do it on yourself. Though there must be labor on your part, yet at the same time rest in Him. Let the Spirit flow through you like a river, like a mighty wave. Let it flow through you. Give vent to those innermost groanings. Let them escape your lips. Take the time to get alone and wait. 
sometimes not even saying anything, but on the inside of you there is an agonizing. There is a flowing out of your spirit by the Holy Spirit to the great spirit, the Father of spirits, and you will be sustained. You shall be kept, and your family and your home will be sure and stand fast, and your children shall grow up strong and faithful in the Lord, and they shall have no fear. Amen. I believe that. Woo. And so what we're saying is, Lord, here we are. And I remember hearing just prophecies and words of there'd be certain, you know, gatherings and, you know, the church coming together. And I remember just a lady would stand up and says, I see him. I see him. He's on a horse. He's on a white horse. What's he doing? He's checking in on the troops, checking in to make sure that they're hearing, that they're getting what's needing to be taught, to check, to make sure what's going on with us. And I believe the Lord's doing that to this day. He's raising up this new band. And I'm so thankful, saying, Lord, here I am. Whatever you have me do, this is what we're here for. And so we've told the Lord, Lord, this is your church. What do you want to do with it? We are attentive to the head, and we'll just flow with him. Amen? Now, we want to go over again because, again, to position ourselves to be available, to position ourselves to be used of God in these last days, we need to take the time and see what all that God has done for us through the death, burial, and resurrection of His Son, Jesus. It's thank God for the forgiveness of sin, for making us the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, but it doesn't just stop there. What we've been discussing over the last couple weeks is that now He's also elevated us to a position of authority where you and I now are actually living on this earth as Jesus would in this day and age. So you and I have got to become aware, attentive. Let this just be another, oh, it was a cute little message. This was nice. Let it become now part of your lifestyle, that it changes the way you live, changes the way you see things. Now you become the dominant force on this earth called the church because that's who you are. Oh, So what we're talking about is not, it's already who you is. So we're just going, taking the time to go through that. Now. We're going to get into some things today. I'm excited about that. But before we go on, because I really, this is a bit different for me because my, my gifting per se is not so much of a teacher. Uh, I, I really enjoy the teaching gift. I wish I would operate in it a lot more. But for me, so this is a little bit different because I'm, I, I know how to kind of flow with the Lord. But in this kind of sense, it's also been I want you to take the time and really teach these things. So for me, it's a bit of a change because I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. And now it's like, hey, let's, let's go over this. Let's find this out what the word has to say. So pray for me. Just say, Lord, help him. Because <laughs> thank you, Lord. It's, it's him. I'm so thankful to the spirit of God. We don't look to men. Like, don't look to me to say something cool or nice because it ain't me. It's all him. Anything good that you liked, it's him. Anything you didn't like, it's me. I'm very well aware of that. And so that's what we want to we wanna give all the glory to him. Now, what is authority? What is authority? And the just simple definition of the word authority in our Cambridge Dictionary is the power or the right to give and to enforce orders. That's what it is. And then I've been using this book, John A. McMillan. Again, he was a Canadian missionary uh, to, the Chinese, to the Chinese and just some islands around there. Had a powerful, tremendous ministry. And if you're wanting to really dive in depth into some of these realities, John A. McMillan really got this revelation. The Lord gave it to him in the early, late 40s, early 50s, or it could be a little bit earlier than that. Uh, but uh, it was all about because he had been gone out to these mission fields, and these missionaries would come back from overseas and just say, don't go there. It's nuts. We've never seen anything like this before. Demons 
reveal and manifest themselves in ridiculous ways. And so, of course, thank God for strong people in faith saying, don't go there. What do we do? We're going. Absolutely, we're going. And so he went there. And as he was going there, the Lord revealed to him the position or the power that's connected with this, this authority that we have at the right hand of the Father. And so he went there. And again, yeah, he, he came into some really nasty things. And of demons would manifest themselves in, in the bamboo, in the trees, and just weird stuff continuously. But at the same time, the Lord, again, through him, cast them all out. Got rid of it, brought villages to the Lord, and it's just amazing to hear. And so what we're discussing is authority that belongs to every child of God because they contacted Calvary. So you don't have to wait for some, wow, amazing thing to take place or have to be, you have to get, you know, this long in Christianity. You got to be this anointed in order to operate in authority. No, just because you contacted Calvary simply by saying, Jesus, you are my Lord and my Savior at that moment. You have been given the authority over all the works of darkness. Now, what does a church have to do? Wake up to it. And so this is what we've been talking. Our message to the world is you got to be born again. But the message to the church is you got to renew your mind. you got to change the way you think, especially when it comes to this realm and in this area, talking about the authority of the believer, because you got it. Whether you realize it or not, you have it. Say, I got it. Come on, say it like you mean it. I got it. Devil? I got it. It's mine. Don't let them talk you out of it. This is yours. Now, go to Luke chapter 9 here for a moment. And while you're turning there, I also want to just make mention, what is authority? Authority now is delegated power. And I took this little snippet from the John A. McMillan book. It says, the value of this, of this authority depends upon the force behind the user. The believer who is fully conscious of the divine power behind him and of his own authority can face the enemy without fear or hesitation. He goes on to say, behind the authority possessed by the believer, there is a power infinitely greater than that which backs his enemies and which they are compelled to recognize. You know, one other thing, just to when we throw this out there, a lot of times what people call, oh, they're just so anointed. They're so anointed, so anointed, meaning that it's almost impossible. I can't attain to that. God didn't give me that anointing. I don't want you to think like that. I want you to start thinking they're operating in the authority God gave them. Because that's simply what it is. It's delegated power. You have it. I have it. It's all the same authority. Now, people be made more advanced in it simply because they know how to work in it. They've taken the time to learn it, to understand it, and to enforce it. But it doesn't change the fact that you've been given that same measure. Now, in Luke chapter 9, again, I want you to see this. So Jesus went around, and this is what he did. If you actually read in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, it says that what, this is the reason why the Son of God was manifest. Those are big words. When you read that in the Word, this is the reason why the Son of God was made manifest, that he might destroy the works of the enemy. That's why he came. He came to destroy, right? He didn't do it for his own self. He did it for who? He did it for us. We needed the help. We were stuck. We were bound. We were tied up in Satan's kingdom, and he came to destroy or to loosen everything the enemy had on us. And so you see that in the ministry of Jesus, and I, I remember I listened to a historian talk a little bit on the Gospels, and they are actually kind of figuring out you know, the timeline of Jesus' life, and the, 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 what, what we see isn't three and a half years of what he did. What you see is probably about three to six months of what he did in the Gospels. 
the John, in the end of John's gospel, he says, if we were to capture all of what the works of what Jesus could have done, I suppose even all the books, there'd be not enough books to contain, even in this world, all the amazing things that he did. It's amazing. And what did he do? He came to destroy the works of the devil. And while he was on this earth, not only did he do that, but we also see him delegating his power to his disciples. So again, what is authority? It's delegated power. Now look, this is what we see right here in Luke chapter 9, verse 1. He says, one day Jesus called together his 12 disciples and gave them, what did he give them? Power and authority to what? Cast out all demons and to heal all diseases. So we look at Jesus, we'll go, man, that Jesus is doing this. Jesus raised up a dead guy. Jesus healed that leprosy. Jesus, and that's true, Jesus is the source of all healing. But he delegated it now to his 12 close companions. And he says, do the same thing that I do. So I want you just to also think, not only is Jesus one man doing this, now he sent out 12 people to go do the exact same thing. And what you see in the scriptures, actually, the disciples obviously had a lot of this come to work because people came when they couldn't find Jesus. They would find one of his disciples and say, can you help my boy? You see that Mark chapter 9, the, the Mount of Transfiguration right afterwards. So surely it was working, right? Now, verse 2, it also says this, uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 2. It says, then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So who did this? Who cast out demons? Who healed the sick? The disciples did. Who's a disciple today? That's us. We have the same authority. Now look at this in Luke chapter 10. I just love this verse. Uh, I didn't want to do anything other than just to read it and just to remind the devil where he is and what we got. Luke chapter 10 verse 19. Let this be a verse that you highlight, that you point all the way around and just laugh every morning at the devil and say, remember Luke 10 19? He hates this verse. He absolutely hates it. Jesus said, now understand, this is again, he sent the 12, chapter 10, he said, now he sent out the 70. So now there's a total of 83 individuals going out and absolutely destroying hell, yeah. right? These guys, remember the disciples came back and they were excited. They said, Lord, even the demons listen to us on the authority of your name. And Jesus said, hey, that's, that's awesome, right? He says this, now you understand that I have imparted to you all my authority to trample over his kingdom. Something about bold or courageous evangelism. You just take those strong steps and you take those steps and you move forward. Don't be shy of it. Don't shrink away of it. You and I are becoming bold because we're knowing who we are. Because we've been given the authority to trample over all his kingdom. Then he says, you will trample upon every demon before you and overcome Come on, y'all say it with me, overcome. overcome, not be trampled by, not be defeated by. He says overcome. Doesn't mean you don't have a fight. There will be a fight. The devil's not going to just go, oh, you know your authority? Well, go for it. Just tell me what to do and I'll listen. That's not how he works. It's not how he works. He will put up a fight like we're seeing. Like we're seeing, there is a fight that he's got because he knows his time is short. But you and I, we can't have in our mind, oh, I guess we'll just throw up our hands and just say, I guess we'll just wait for Jesus to come. No, 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 no. That's not the mindset of the church. Jesus told us that you will overcome every power Satan possesses. So if you're overcoming everything he's got, what has he got? 
It must be really annoying to be him. And then he says, absolutely, say it with me, absolutely nothing. Come on again. Absolutely nothing will be able to harm you as you walk in this authority. What does that mean? Can sickness take you out? No. Poverty take you out? Not a chance. Why? I'm operating in this authority. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. So do we believe what he said? We gots to believe this. Okay. Now what we're doing and what we're taking the time to understand, this delegated authority, we have to have an ambassador mentality. Not a, oh, whatever. God, if you could just do something out here. No, 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 no. He sent you. This is why you're on this earth, is to bring a kingdom and to reveal and manifest a kingdom. Correct? Okay, now let's have this ambassador mentality. Look at this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says this, we are, say it, I am. We are ambassadors of the anointed one who carry a message. This is what you are. And the devil wants to shut that message up. The devil wants to do everything he can to take away or to diminish the testimony of what Jesus has in your life. Hey, you got a past and it wasn't real good? Fine. Guess what? Jesus took care of it. That's your message. And the devil will go, oh, you were such a bad person. Do you know what you did? Do you know the, the, the crap that you walked around in? Hey, but look what Jesus did in my life. And so all that junk is meant to be a message that you and I carry with us everywhere we go, that no matter who we are, people that are bound in his prison, they say, hey, the door's open. Look what God did in my life. And they go, what? That's amazing. Come on out. Look at what Jesus can do. It's the message. You carry this message. He says you will carry the message of Christ to the world. Now look at this. As though God were tenderly pleading with them directly through our lips. God is using these lips, what? To reconcile. We plead with you on Christ's behalf. Turn back to God and be reconciled to him. Come back. Come back. This is the message again to the world. Come on. Come on. Come on. Listen, God, he's not counting your sin against you. You that had an abortion, he's not counting that sin against you. Come on, y'all. You that was a drug addict. Maybe you're living on the street. He's not calling that sin against you. You were a thief, a liar, a pedophile. He's not calling that against you. This is our message. That's the good news of the gospel. You don't have to be that loser anymore. Yeah, you was a loser. Absolutely, we all were. But then Christ called me out of it. Now, this is the ambassador mentality. What does it mean to be an ambassador? It simply says this, is that we are his diplomatic agents sent to represent King Jesus and we're authorized to speak and to act as he leads. Here's this. We are the voice of heaven to the earth invested with royal authority through the name of Jesus and the power of his blood. So now, it's important that now we as a church, we lean in, we believe, and we start living out this call that we have received being in Christ Jesus. Now, again, why is this? It's not enough just to believe that Jesus has authority over the devil. You have to believe it. Can you see yourself? All of a sudden, a demon-possessed individual comes up to you and just starts taunting or ravaging, wanting to harm you in any kind of way. Can you see yourself speaking to that demon spirit and commanding them in the name of Jesus, get out? You can't just think, Jesus, do something. He's already done all he's going to do about the devil. He spanked them. What did he do? Now he gave you the wooden spoon and says, have at it. Yeah. 
And the good news is he's already whooped. So here's what you and I, we have got to come to this realization. This is where the church needs to wake up. The devil has been destroyed of all power. He has nothing, no authority except for what we give him. So this is, this is why the church has to wake up. We've got to wake up to this. Now again, why is all this important? Romans chapter 8 and verse 19, it says this, that the entire universe is standing on its tiptoes. For what? Looking, yearning to see the unveiling of God's glorious son, Jesus. Oh, what does it say? You, me. This is what the earth is looking for. It's looking for the manifestation. The re- unveiling, and that word unveiling is the same Greek word used for the book of Revelation. It's the revelation or the unveiling of Jesus. Because we may have a gl- an idea of what Jesus is, but listen, when he gets unveiled, you'll go, <gasps> like John, you'll fall over his dead and go, holy, holy, holy. We sing that and go, holy, holy. You have no idea. <laughs> He's holy. What does that mean? Well, we kind of think set apart. You ain't seen nothing yet until we see him. But it's the same word that this world's looking for. They're looking for the sons and daughters of God to stand up to their God-given call. So what do we need? We need ambassadors of heaven on this earth. Red Deer is desperate for it. Now, again, I want to just add this in because the authority, this authority in particular, only works as I am submitted to him and his ways. So I cannot just choose to do whatever I want with this God-given authority. However I want to use it, there are parameters to this authority. And it's used, and this is how it's greatly used, to the degree that I'm submitted to him. The more that I'm submitted to the great commission of what God has called the church to do, the more authority that you and I will begin to walk in. Right? I can't just take this authority and I just want to do with it what, however I want to. In the name of Jesus, I just bind you. You, know, you stop that. You get out of here. Did he tell you to say that? Because if he didn't, you're using authority that he didn't tell you. You're just off a rogue believer just saying and spouting things off. What did he tell you? Because we just say, well, I'm, I'm taking this land. I'm taking that land. That property belongs to us. That property belongs to us. That property belongs to us. That one right over there, I really want. So that one belongs to me. In the name of Jesus, he's told Joshua, wherever you march and the treads of your souls touch, it belongs to you. If you read it in context, God said, between this river and that river, wherever you march belongs to you. You can't just take this and say, God gave me authority, and now I'm just... I take all of this. Red Deer belongs to Impact. <laughs> Sounds real good, doesn't it? And all of a sudden we go, how come, how come none of that stuff's ever working? Because he never told you to do that. He told us to stay. So here we are. Riverside Meadows, not Lower Fairview. Riverside Meadows. <laughs> all right. Now... Again, the reason why we have to just bring this up is because a question that I had, and I asked this, if the Jesus is supreme in his position and power, why are we not seeing more demonstration of it? The answer, because the head is completely dependent upon the body for carrying out his plan. All of the members of the body must be submitted to the word and to the ways of God. God gave us his word to get our thinking in line with him. What does God want with us? To think like Jesus. 
So what's happening is a good brainwash needs to take place. God wants you to drink the Kool-Aid. <laughs> drink it. Scarf it down. Don't try to regurgitate it. No, you put it back down there. It doesn't make any sense. Keep drinking it. I don't understand. Keep going at it. Why? It'll dawn on you. Go, oh, I see it. It's, it's, it, this is the great exchange that's taking place. The way that I grew up, the culture that I grew up, the, the family that I grew up, or the, the nation that I came from, all of these things form you at a young age to think a certain way. And a lot of the time, it just thinks like the world, just unique to that certain culture. So what God is saying, he's saying, I'm calling you from every tribe, every nation, every tongue to be part of this new family. And in this new family, when you accept Jesus, you have to get reintroduced to your new self. You have to get reintroduced to a new way of thinking, a new way of living, because guess what? God's not Canadian. <laughs> Whatever that means, stereotype for yourself, God's not American. Jesus was a Jew. So a lot of times we come to God with our Canadian mindset and try to change God to start thinking like a Canadian. He won't. He doesn't think that way. He thinks kingdom. He thinks God. So what do we do? I got to get off my sinking ship like a Canadian. Well, this is just how Canadians are. I have to get out of that. And I got to get in over on God's side and go, oh, wow, that's a whole different way. God never created a shy person. Oh, I'm just shy. Stop saying that. There's no such thing as a shy person. Well, you, that's just what I am. No, it's not. doesn't mean you're obnoxious and blah, blah, blah. It just means this, that, hey, you were created in Christ Jesus. And in Jesus, Jesus doesn't go, whatever you want. No. You're in him. You're complete in him. So say it with me. I'm as bold as a lion. All right. That wasn't my message, but that's, that was for fun. And he gave us his spirit to empower us to carry out the word. Now, this is the part where we need to pay attention. Again, unless the word is richly living in us so our thinking can line up, the spirit of God, although present with all of his power, with all of his fullness, he's got nothing to work with. The word of God is crucial because the word, again, puts the parameters. It gives us the boundaries. It gives us the understanding of how to govern the church. Don't just think these four walls. It's governing your and my life. This word, right? You can find that in Psalm 119 over and over. The psalmist says, show me your ways. Teach me your way so that I can walk closely with you. Align my heart. I put your word in my heart that I will not sin against you. Why is he saying all these things? Because he wants to live like a citizen of heaven. It's a different lifestyle. So he's saying the word is the primary focus for you and I to understand the boundaries of how you and I live on this earth. This is, this is the standard. This is it. So that's why he gives standards for marriage. He gives standards for raising kids. He gives standards for everything you can possibly imagine. Boys and girls, everything. So you and I, if we got, well, this is so-and-so's experience. I don't care what they experienced. We got to go to the word because the word is the standard. And if people don't line up, well, we could, hey, let's, let's help you. Let, let, me, let me show you how this works. Let's line up with scripture because love rejoices when truth prevails. It's, it's huge. So what we're looking for is truth spoken in love. And that's how the kingdom really operates. That's how God speaks. Anybody ever been corrected by God? Didn't it hurt so good? What is it? It's truth with love. It's not just this brash, harsh, you're an idiot. There's this love connection with it. He's taught me how to be a dad. 
Anywho, moving on. Now, so the word isn't crucial. And without a renewed mind to God's word and a yieldedness to the spirit of God, the impulses from the head to the body cannot be carried out. Instead, now, what do we have is we have an immature motion of children. I don't want to do that. I don't want to stay. I want to go. Picture your five-year-old for a moment. And if they have little freak-out tenter tantrums about putting a dish away. Anybody, can you picture that? Can you see that in your mind? That's what it looks like to the father when he gives direction with no follow-through. I don't want to do that. So what's the problem? Is, that, is it the head's problem that this earth is the way that it is? It's the body has to wake up. Say it with me, wake up. Wake up, body. This is what we're all talking about is we're waking up now to the impulses of what the head wants to do. Because when the head gives these impulses and a body is alert, it's active, it hears what the father wants to do. Yes, sir, I'll carry that out. What happens? Now we have full motion the same way naturally for you and I that I can put a coat on without any struggle. Imagine waking up this morning, your head wants to get dressed to come to church. Your body goes, no. Lays in bed. You try putting a sock on, it just kicks it right off. You try putting a pant leg off, get that off me, get, get that off me. I'm not taking this on. And it just takes it right off. Your head would be frustrated. Why? Because the head and the body ain't working together. Well, it's the same way on this earth. You got a perfect head that has these, these thoughts, these plans, these great things in store for your personal life. Yes but also for the place that you work, for the city that we live in, for the province that we're in, the nation that we're in. But unless the body is lining up with the head, these impulses go uneven noticed. And we go, God, we're just waiting you for to do something. And he's going, wake up. I'm talking. I'm asking you to align. I'm trying to get you plugged in over here. I'm trying to get you serving over here. I'm trying to get you connected over here. I want you to meet so-and-so. Well, I'm just shy. All of that is hindering what God wants to do. Now, so what happens? The head is hindered because the body has not grown up to the stature of a perfect man. And so in divine patience, the head waits patiently for a man, for a woman to go, I hear something. Psalmist talks about even being rain trained. The same way that you, for a horse, you need a bit in a horse's mouth to kind of get them going somewhere. Well, you can train a horse. I, I don't know this person. I've never trained a horse. But to a point where you just got reins on them, and they would just feel the slightest little tug on the side with the rope, and they would just go that way. That's what I want for my life, to be rain trained. That I don't, all of a sudden, I'll be doing something. All of a sudden, I just get a little tinkling on the inside. What do I do? Rather than, oh, whatever, just forget about that. I'm going to keep doing my thing. No, Lord, what? What did you want to do? What did you want to say here? What's that? It's becoming attentive to the head. And now that's us on an individual basis. Praise God. But now how much more when an entire family like what we got right here is attentive? Nobody's got an agenda. Nobody's going, well, you know, we better hurry up here because I got things to do. People to go, go ahead. But Lord, here we are. What do you want to do? What do you want to say? Is there somebody that needs it? Imagine what that would look like, not only in our corporate gathering like this, but just in the hallways. All of a sudden, you're passing somebody in the bathroom and go, hey, God just wanted me to tell you something real quick. Could you imagine what that would look like? So rather than depending or waiting for something to happen from the stage, it's happening Get the donut. Woo! Krona can be holy. Now, 
Let's bring up this little topic here. I just feel like I'm bringing up a lot of stuff. But one of the most damaging beliefs in the church is this. Are you ready? God is in control. Let me back this up. I'm going to go into this because wherever you may be coming from, you kind of go, well, that's just, I'm, that's not what I've heard. That, that's fine. But what I want to share with you this, this morning, this thought is absolutely damaging the church. God is in control. Because if he was, he would make everybody get saved. If he was, he'd make everybody get up, come to church early. Getting involved, serving. If he was in control, just think about it for a sec. God would do all of that. Did he choose you to have cornflakes or Fruit Loops this morning? Who made that choice? Come on, y'all. Who chose your breakfast? I, I did, right? It may be limited choices, but I, I chose to eat. I chose that. Now, the next thing we got to just look at this is if God is in control with all the evil that we see going around, he's the boss of all that? This is where the distinguishing line comes in place, John 10.10. 10. We actually believe this or we don't. Jesus said, I came that you may have life in abundance to the full till it overflows. The enemy comes to do what? To steal, to kill, and to destroy. So anything that has to do with those three things, it's an enemy that is present and doing it. All the stuff that we're seeing even now, not just talking like the COVID stuff, that's all trash too, but all the sex trafficking, all that garbage and that gunk. You think God's in control of that? No, not at all. Far from it. So let me just show you a couple of things here because we know, again, let me just tie this in. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 talks about Satan being the God of this world. So who's in control of this earth? Satan. Let me ask that again. Who's in charge of the earth at its current state? Satan is. He's called the small g, little God, on this earth. And the good news is, it's temporary. There is coming a time when God will absolutely get rid and absolutely destroy everything that Satan ever could possibly want or imagine to do. It'll be gone. He said he'll wipe away every tear. There'll be no more sickness. Now imagine running in heaven with no shoes on, no socks on, and never think about a thistle again. That to me just sounds glorious. <laughs> now let me just back up here a little bit, but I want to just go bring this to us in Matthew chapter 16, verse 19. This is again in reference to where Jesus was talking and asking, who do people say that I am? Then he asked, who do you say that I am? It is so important that you have your own relationship with the Lord. You can't have, your, you can't have my Jesus. You can't have your spouse's Jesus. Who is Jesus to you? And Peter, that's when he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus piped up, got excited and said, yes, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood has not revealed that to you except for my father who is in heaven. And he says, upon this rock, which is revelation knowledge, that Jesus is the Christ. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, right? Then he says in verse 19, and I will give you the keys of what? The kingdom. I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven now let's just look at this one phrase sorry my poppy fell off i'm gonna just put it here just no disrespect i just 
It's stabbing me and I don't want to step on it. What are keys? What are these? They're keys. What does it, what does it reveal or what does it signify to us? That I have access. It means I have control of something. Right on here is basically anything important in my life is on these keychains. Right? This is right here are the church keys. I have the, the keys to the whole building. They're right here. So if I wanted to come at 2 o'clock in the morning, guess what? I can. Why? Because I have control. This, this thing right here gives me complete control to this building. Right? What if I, well, no, you can't go in there. Well, how, why, why? I have the key. I'm, I'm going to come in. Well, no, you can't. Well, I'm going to. It opens the door. It gives me access to everything that's in this place. Right? Also on here... Here's my car, my sweet ride. Car seats in the back, gold fishies on the floor. It purrs from the outside, but it is kid-friendly on the inside. When I turn that ignition, what am I saying? That I have ownership and I own the car, correct? What did Jesus just say? He says, I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom. So in other ways, what is Jesus saying? He's saying, I'm giving you, sorry, can I just throw these at you? I'm giving you control of my house, control of my car. You give them back though right afterwards. <laughs> but they're there. What did Jesus just do? Here. Here's the keys to the kingdom. Or in other words, here is the control of the kingdom. Can, can we see that? Here's the control of it. So now we have to take this thought out of our mind, is that God is in control of this earth. He is not in control of this earth. Why? He gave you the key. He said, here you go. Right? Everybody received their key? Just look up for a sec. Okay, got it. Everybody got their key? Now, with this key, you now, whatever you bind on earth is what's bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on this earth is loosed in heaven. So you can't ask that question, well, you know, God just allowed things to happen. Yeah. Do you know why? It's because you got the key and you either bound it or you loosed it. You got the key. Okay. Now, look at Luke chapter 4 here for a moment. Because answering the question, is God in control? No, the enemy is. Satan is the God of this world. Well, how can we see this? I just want to show you from one of the temptations that Jesus had. And again, when you hear the word temptation, what is a temptation? It's enticing, right? It's something to, if you act on it, right? It's something, oh, I, I could get that. Look at here in verse 5. It says, the devil taking Jesus now on a high mountain, he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. Now, this is a supernatural experience. Jesus not eaten or drank for 40 days. All of a sudden, the enemy takes him up on this high mountain. He shows him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And look at this, what verse, verse uh, 6 says, the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whoever I wish. What is the devil offering him? He's offering him basically what Jesus came to fulfill and do, which is authority of the earth. 
Jesus could have been, he could have taken it right here, gone the easy way out and just go forget the cross, forget the, the, the scourging, forget the nails, forget the blood. Jesus could have just said, okay, you're going to give this all to me. All I have to do, verse 7 says, if you will just worship and bow before me, it's yours. Could the devil offer this? Because if, if this was a lie, <laughs> then it should, wasn't a temptation. But if it's a temptation, that means Jesus actually had to think this thing through. Aren't you glad he didn't take it that way? <laughs> so what did he do? The word says, well, he told him basically, get behind me, Satan. Okay. And now, if the devil could offer us, simply it would be a, a temptation. So now, since we've been given the keys of the kingdom or control of the kingdom, we need to learn where our seat is located and to take our place to operate in our God-given authority. we got to learn how to work this out. And we're going to do this over the course of this time. How do we learn this? Is by simply looking at Jesus. When you see Jesus, you also get a glimpse of who you are. Okay, now go to Hebrews chapter 2 here for a minute. Because Jesus right now is physically at the right hand of the Father. Okay, that's where he's seated. The Bible clearly tells us that. That's where he's seated. Okay, now in Hebrews chapter 2, and what's he doing at the right hand of the Father? He is a representation of all redeemed humanity. So what you see Jesus, he's called you to. Does that make sense? Are we we're all on the same page? Yeah, okay. Now look at this in verse 5. It says, Furthermore, it is not angels who will control the future world we're talking about. Who's going to be in charge of the future world? The church. <laughs> okay, verse 6. Come on. For it says, in one place, the scripture says, and now he's referring back to Psalm chapter 8, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, or a son of man that you should care for him? Yet for a little while you made them a little lower than the angels, or the Hebrew word is Elohim. You made them a little lower than Elohim. Right? So just so that we're all understanding kind of how the, the class goes in heaven, you have God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're number one. They always will be. Now directly underneath them is the church. And then you have all the angels. Angels are not better than you. To say, oh, somebody went to heaven, they just, they, you know, God got another angel, is a demotion. <laughs> just so you're clear. Okay. Because you find out in Hebrews, actually, chapter 1, talk about what are angels. They're ministering spirits sent to work on our behalf. They're your servants. Now, anyways, that's another message. He says, a little while, you made them a little lower than Elohim, and you crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them authority over all things. Now, when it says all things, it means nothing is left out, right? He says, but we have not yet seen all things put under their authority. What's that one thing that's not yet put under our authority? Death. Death is the last thing that will be put under feet. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 reveals all that to you and I. But it says, even in death, he says, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because death, there is no sting in it anymore when you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You don't, there's, man, there's a lot to this. You will never experience dying. Somebody may die, but guess what? They go, Bleh. next voice, whoa! What happens is that in Peter, it talks about a grand entrance. It's like they stepped over it 
you'll never experience death. <laughs> so dying for the believer is like, bring it. Bring it on. All right. Verse 9. It says this. What we do see is Jesus. Come on, can you say that with me? What we do see is Jesus. So this is where we got to keep our eyes open. we got to keep our eyes on who? On him. On Jesus. We do keep our eyes on him, who for a little while was given a position a little lower than the angels. And because he suffered death for us, he is now crowned with glory and honor. Yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. Now, if you continue reading on, I'm not just, this is another message, but I would really encourage you, read the rest of Hebrews chapter 2, because what Jesus did, he took the sting out of death so that people that were captivated by fear of dying, did you know that all fear is found in one fear? All fear, no matter what it is, fear of heights, spiders, claustrophobic, you name it, it's all gathered in one, death. So what Jesus did, if you read the rest of Hebrews chapter 2, it says Jesus took away him who had the power of death, which was the devil. I think that's the devil's least favorite verse because it just really shows, devil, you had the power of death, but now it's gone. Sorry, gone. And he says, now them being captivated or drawn in through all their life by fear of death, he says he sets them free. So the fear of death should be for you and I completely out. So somebody says, I'm going to blow your brains up for believing in Jesus. Go, I get to meet Jesus today? Woo! That ought to be our initial response. Do it. Go for it. What, what are you waiting for? I get to go see him. Aren't, aren't you scared of it? That's the only thing the enemy has. He has just thought he tries to do is just fear. I'm going to get you with this virus. <laughs> and then when you find out you're not scared of death, you look at it and go, sorry, that, that? No, not going to work. He gets frustrated by that. So what we do, we don't yield to fear. Oh, they said this. Oh, stop it. Stop it. Come on, say it with me. Stop it. Cut that off right there. Because Jesus has delivered you and I from fear. Well, I'm not feeling it. I'm not experiencing it. Get your eyes on him then. Because we've made COVID way bigger than it is. We've made cancer way bigger than it is. Compared to Jesus? Okay. Now, let's take a moment to look where he is. The extent of his authority. Now, go to Ephesians chapter 1. I'm trying to wrap this all up here. I don't know where a landing zone is, so we'll just keep flying. Where is he? Luke, Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to read verse 19 through 23. Again, this is the Apostle Paul praying this prayer, and he says, What is the exceeding greatness of his power? Now remember this, toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power. Now I want you just to highlight some of these verses, these points here. It says, Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and now highlight this, seated him. Say it with me, seated him. At his right hand in the heavenly places, Verse 21 says, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Okay, we're talking about the Lord here for a moment. 
verse 23 it's, or 22, it says, He has put all things under His feet, okay? And gave Him to be the head over all things to the church. Verse 23 now says, Which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Now, I want to break this down a little bit, but we also have to get this realization that, yes, God is the fullness of my life, but you are the fullness of him. Like, this is what the gospel, it's too good to be true. We look at God, yes, I'm complete in him. Yes, absolutely, all that is true in Christ Jesus. But you, did you know he is completely dependent upon you? That's why the fullness of God is seen through you. He has limited himself to me and you. Wow. How do you say wow backwards? Wow. And then upside down, it's just mom. <laughs> now, I was really good at English. <laughs> now, let's go back here for a moment. Verse 20, it says, made to sit or seated with him. Made to sit simply means this. But the act of sitting indicates this for a king that a certain time his work is finished with an authority given to him. He is now awaiting the father's time while exercising the powers placed in his hands, working out redemption that he purchased at Calvary. When you sit down, it means the work to a certain degree is finished. Jesus will stand up again. That's when he comes to get us. Because the work's not totally done. Salvation isn't quite done yet. We got the down payment. He proposed to us. Right? We got born again, got the Spirit of God living on the inside of us. Part of the salvation, that's complete. That's done. Inside you is perfect. Our mind needs to be saved. And that's by renewing our mind. But what's coming yet soon and very soon, these bodies need to be changed. He bought your body with his blood, and it's going to be completely new, a body just like his. Not second, better, not, you know, third. It's just like him. The Bible says when you see him as he really is, you'll become just like him. What kind of body does he have? He has a glorified body. You can think and you're there. Down here, this is what I've been teaching my kids science. We've been talking about how fast the speed of light is and how earth really is so slow to God. We go, oh, I was going 130 down the highway. God goes, slow. He travels faster than 186,000 miles a second. That's how he's operating. Now, made to sit. The next part is sit where? Far above. Say it with me. Far above what? All principality, power, might, and dominion. Okay? Now, this word, this, these great princes and authorities are all subject to him. He's far above them and all might. Now, this word might is dunamis, which is simply just spiritual power or energy. This refers now to the working of satanic energy. This energy is trying to get to the bodies and minds of the children of God. This is, the, this is Satan's might. He's after your mind. He's after your body. He's trying to get in there with everything that he's got. But Jesus is seated far above all might. Now, it's, yay, Jesus is there. Yeah, hold on. Jesus is far above all of that. The next point, he says, demon possession now, it retires before aggressive evangelism. When the word and the spirit of God is honored, darkness has to run away. 
right? Okay. Now, Christ also sits far above all dominion, and that word in the Greek literally means lordship. He's seated far above all spiritual power and all thrones that the kingdom of darkness may have. Next, he's that in this age. So he's seated far above them, all might, power, principality, power. It says also in this age. So now he sits far above every name that is named. Any good name that you can think of, any name that we would admire or admonish in our time and in this day, he's far above that. Not only in this age. You can think of anybody that you really, really like. Or somebody that just like, oh man, I just I put them a bit on a pedestal. Well, don't, because Jesus is far above that. Not only in this age, but also in the ages to come. So nobody's getting his spot. It's his. It belongs to him. Right? Okay. Now, and it says he put all things under his feet. The feet now are members of the body. Now, I want you to think for a moment that the least member of the body is far above all the forces of darkness. So we go, thank you, Jesus. That's where you're seated. But how does that affect me? Well, you're in the body. Correct? And if the feet or if the head is far above, guess where the feet are? Far above. Because you don't think in the morning, there's Joel and his body. I'm one. Right? I look at you, I'm like, oh, I'm so glad that Carrie brought her head today. I'm so thankful. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We don't think like that. Why? Oh, you brought yourself. There you are. There you are. There, there you are. All parts of you. Outside, here's my head, here's my toes. Every part of me is here today. Well, it's the same way with the body of Christ. It's not just Jesus is elevated at the right hand of the Father. There's the head just doing head things. No, what did he do? He elevated his body, and now if the tiniest little heel on the body is far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age and in this world, but also in that which is to come. You're seated far above that. Oh, but you just understand the devil's doing this. Hold on a sec. You're above him. Remind him of that. You're far above him. Now, and the last thing, what he gave Jesus, he gave Jesus to be the head over all things for the church. This simply means that Jesus, he is the head. We need one head. If you got two heads, it becomes a freak. One head means he's got the plan. He's got the vision. Our job is not to go, I'm going to have another vision, which is division. That's what antichrist is. Antichrist is a two vision. Well, this is what God's going to do. No, 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 no. Unless you're submitted to the head, you are a useless minister, a rogue minister, and you actually have no aspect to be on a pulpit. Ever. Well, I'm not submitted. <laughs> Don't ever touch a pulpit. Because I can only do this to the degree that I'm submitted to him. He tells me what to do. He tells me what to say in the church. He tells me how to run this thing. If I wanted to just do my own thing, well, first of all, y'all figure it out. Because you can smell phony from a mile away. Bye-bye. But to the degree that we as a church are submitted, now we can start seeing things happen. Now, in closing, Ephesians 1.19, it says this. To usward, who believe? Do I just hold on a second, Johanna? Don't play yet. I don't. We're going to get rowdy here. To usward, who believe? Who is this for? How do you have access to this power, this authority that God gave us? It's to us, who what? 
who believe. Come on, say it with me. To us who believe. Again, to us who believe. All this power, all this authority that God has given to the church. Who is it for? To us who believe. That's why a lot of Christians aren't operating in it. They don't believe. Well, you just don't understand what, you know, this is what my denomination said. This is what so-and-so said. It doesn't matter. What does the Bible say? No denomination can change this word. This word is his word. He said it's available to you when you believe. What does it mean to believe? It simply believe is to live in accordance with or to demonstrate action out of what you believe is true. So it's not just go, oh, I believe that head knowledge. No, if I believe something, it means that I'm actually going to now apply it in my everyday life. Right? Okay. Now, what you're going to get on your way out today, I took this snippet. This is from page 27 of John A. McMillan. There's a part of this that I want to read out to you, and this is something that we do every day. It's like, hey, now what do I do? This seat that Jesus has, this seat that Jesus occupies, that's great. How do I get to it? By faith. What does it mean to do it by faith? It just simply means I believe. I don't have to feel it. I don't have to try to conjure up some kind of emotion. It means nothing. You have that seat whether you realize it or not. Now will you occupy that seat? That is your first ministry. Before you are a teacher, before you are a plumber, before I'm a pastor, before I'm a dad, a husband, an RCMP officer, I am called to minister from this right hand of authority. That's my call. This is what Ephesians is all about. And if you read Ephesians 4.1, this is what Paul is saying. I admonish you by the, or that's Romans 12. But he says that you would live and walk according to the divine calling to which you're called. That doesn't just mean, oh, I'm called to be a teacher. I'm going to be the best teacher I possibly can. No, it means you've been called to sit with him in heavenly places. That's your first call. Because when you take care of business up there, it takes care of business down here. My family is untouched. Well, how can you say that? Because from that realm, I plead the blood of Jesus over my family. You have no access around my kids. Jace, Max, London, and Brooks are hands off to you. I say that every morning. You cannot and you will not touch them. Well, how do you know it actually works? It doesn't matter. I don't have to feel anything. That's a position I own. It's what I got because of who I am in. I'm in him. So let me read this part to you. It says, if we truly believe that I've been seated with him, my response is this. Lord, I accept your gracious word. I believe what you have done for me. In humble faith, I do now take my seat in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus at your right hand. Teach me to fulfill this sacred ministry, how to exercise the authority which you have entrusted to me. Train me day by day that I may attain to the full stature of the perfect man in Christ, so that in me your purpose of the ages may be fulfilled. Amen. Then it goes on to say, Now morning by morning, as one of my first acts of worship, I will take my seat with Christ and return thanks to God for all that it implies. Whoo! This same Luke 10, 19, you walk in this authority, you're untouchable. Well, where am I untouchable? It's not just me operating from this earth. It's from that place. There is a place in God the devil cannot go. Where is that? At the right hand of the Father. So we got to make a big deal about this place because Jesus thought it was worth dying for. He thought it was worth every drop of blood being poured out of his body, not just to save you from hell, 
That's part of it. Thank God. But to resurrect a redeemed human race and bring them up and exalt and elevate them and say, sit down and occupy with me, fight with me, reign with me as kings and priests on this earth. That's who you and I are. Now, hold on. Let me finish this now. He says, I will... Give thanks to God for all that implies. I will often remind myself that I am seated far above all the powers of the air, and they are in subjection to me. Sometimes when you're driving around, it's just good. Satan, guess where you are? Oh, yeah, under my foot. While I'm walking around in the grocery store, guess where you are? Oh, yeah, you're under my foot. Just so you know. If you wanted to ram a car through this building, just so you know, you're under my foot. You can't do that. Oh, it ticks him off. Good. Hate that punk. Now. It says, as my faith learns to use the name and the authority of Jesus, I will find the spiritual forces yielding obedience in ways that will surprise me. He says, as I continue to abide closely in him, my prayers for the advancement of the kingdom will become less and less the uttering of petitions and will increasingly manifest the exercise of a spiritual authority that recognizes no national boundaries but fearlessly binds the forces of darkness in every part of the world. Woo! So this morning, let's take our seat real quick. And I'm calling Aaron up here. Let's take our seat. Because you know what? If maybe COVID is still a thing for you in your mind, let's put it under the feet now. Why hang around it? If there's any kind of fear, COVID is just stupid. If there's any kind of fear, fear of, you know, rejection or what people may think, who gives a rip? Who cares? Whatever it may be, fear of death, fear of any kind of thing. Or if there's something that you're dealing with even physically in your own body, let's put it where it belongs. Where does it belong? Under the feet. Where are you? Even if you were the pinky toe, guess what? You are still seated far above this sucker. I've just been dealing with migraines. Put it under. It goes under. Now, don't elevate it to with the same degree that, well, that, that you are. Should not be there. So can we do that this morning? Is there anything that you have need of? Let's just, I want you to get that in your mind. Is it fear of children? Fear of their salvation? Is it some, maybe a loved one that hasn't received the Lord yet? Guess where it goes? Under my feet. What do I do? Rather than trying to, oh God, I just hope they come to you. No, we take the power over Satan and say, in the name of Jesus, I claim my friend or my, my family member's salvation in the name of Jesus now, and I break it now. That's where it begins. Okay? So Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, we take our seat with you, the position you gave us because we are in Christ Jesus. And Father, right now, just with the situation that we're dealing with in the nation of Canada, Father, we rise up, we take our seat, and in the name of Jesus, Satan, we bind your operation in Ottawa. You have no access in our parliament buildings. This land, he will have dominion from sea to sea. We believe that, we claim that. So, Father, from this place, we speak freedom over our nation. We speak freedom over our provinces. We speak freedom in our governments. We speak freedom in the mighty name of Jesus. Satan, your power stops at this moment. Right here. Right here. Father, and I also want to just take a moment in the name of Jesus over our properties. You have no access over our properties. While we're serving the Lord, there will be no break-ins. There will be no accidents, no harm coming to anybody's vehicle or personal belongings. In the name of Jesus, we speak that and we plead the blood. Thank you for that, Lord.